Psalm 33. I want to teach about America, the blessed. America, the blessed. Psalm 33. It's good to be in a nation where we have an opportunity to worship and love God and praise his name. Psalm 33, look at verse 12 again. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Let's also go to Psalm number 9. Psalm number 9. Notice verse number 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. All the nations that forget God. So, Father, thank you for an opportunity again to look into the Word of God. Speak to all of our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Whenever we think about the formation of any country, it's important to remember that God is the one who initiated all of this back when he made man. He took Adam and Eve, put them in the garden. Because Adam and Eve sinned, they were expelled from the garden, Their expulsion from the garden meant that now, as they began to have children, that the institution of the family would begin to flourish, multiply in number. Whenever you have numbers of people that begin to multiply, you have different personalities, and of course you're going to have different ideas. So pretty soon, opinions begin to develop. Someone says, well, maybe... We ought to consider this, or maybe we should consider that. Over a period of time, traditions develop. Pretty soon, these traditions become laws, depending on who is the one that's in charge. If we understand that every nation that exists in this world can exist only because of God, we know that what Daniel said was true when he said, it is the Lord that sets up kings and puts down kings. That in this world that we live right now, there are tribes that at one time were in existence. But in certain places of the world, those tribes no longer exist at all. Certain languages at one time were spoken in various places in this world. There's no longer a native speaker of certain languages at all. The one thing we do learn from God when we consider Abraham and his family and how it developed into the 12 tribes of Israel and then later into the nation, we learned that it was always God's desire and his design to be in the headship role of his people. If we have God in charge of our homes, in charge of our individual lives, that means we'll make decisions that are distinct and radically different from people who do not know God at all. The Psalms are all about magnifying the name of the Lord. The psalmist in chapter 33, he goes so far as to tell us that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. See, men have all kinds of ideas and theories and opinions, but these change all the time. But God's word, his counsel, his advice is sure. It'll be the same in one generation as it is in the next generation, which is why when you read the Bible, you are reading scripture that was read by people 1500 years ago. You're reading the Holy Scriptures that were read by people 3,500 years ago. At whatever point the Scriptures began to be written and preserved, then the mind of God was secure in a written form so that every generation could read it. And this is why he says the thoughts of his heart to all generations. I know the mind of God, 
you know the thoughts of God because you have a Bible. You would think that having a scripture or having Bible in, in a home that people would turn to it more often to see what it is that God is saying to us. But there are a lot of bookshelves in this world where the Bibles are collecting dust because nobody takes the time to read what it is that God is saying. If you want to know God's mindset for your family, for your marriage, for your individual life, if you want to know how God wants you to conduct yourself in and on your job, read the scriptures. It speaks about the attitude of your heart, that you shouldn't be a grudge bearer, that you shouldn't be a person with roots of bitterness developing on the inside of your heart. But the scripture also teaches you that if you're going to live in a nation where God is in control and God is Lord, then that nation is going to be blessed. A nation is comprised of citizens. A nation is no good if it doesn't have inhabitants. So since all of us today are residents, not only of a natural city, but a spiritual kingdom, we must know that we're blessed if, in fact, we have God as our Lord. To have God as the governor of your home means that you are blessed. So how does that work as a citizen in the kingdom of God? When you walked away from sin and submitted your heart to Jesus Christ and became a Christian, and you took upon yourself the life of the Lord Jesus, the yoke of Christ, and believed in his virgin birth, his life without sin, his death on the cross, receiving the penalty that you should have received. When you accepted the fact that he died in your place, was buried, and then raised again on the third day, God gave you a new heart. That new heart then means that you have a new disposition. Your outlook on life changes. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That means in order to become a Christian, the heart has to be changed. Once the heart is changed, God gives you a new set of faculties, an ability to see differently than you've seen before. There is a way that seems right to man. Scripture says the end of that pathway is death and destruction. But when God gives you the ability to see things differently now as a Christian, it's no wonder that your outlook on life differs from someone who doesn't know God. Don't be surprised when you talk to people and they don't hold the views that you hold, especially if you're a Christian and they're not. I remember years ago I was teaching in a school and they had a a teacher that was an atheist and he didn't mind letting me know that he was an atheist. He was talking to me about this whole religious stuff. It's all bunk. I said, it doesn't matter to me whether or not you think it's, it's all bunk. Uh, the people who believe in this stuff are blowing up stuff around the world and they're killing people. So whether you believe in it or not, it doesn't matter. People are dying. And I said, when it comes to the things of religion, it's not about what you believe about somebody else's faith. It's about their passion and their sincerity. And I said, that's why the Muslims were going out taking people's lives. Well, as a Christian, we understand that the life that we live is different than that. Christ sacrificed himself. He died on the cross for us. That is the foundation of what we understand right now as the basis of our nation. And so if we, if we hold to that and we embrace that, then we can stand by Psalm 33, verse number 12, which says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. America is blessed for a number of reasons, one of which is the Bible. When you consider that that Constitutional Convention in 1787 was nothing short of a miracle, those aren't my words, 
Those are the words that Mr. Madison wrote to Mr. Jefferson and what even Mr. Washington himself believed. And Jefferson didn't even believe in divine things and supernatural things. But if you understand that with the 13 states that we had, those folks sent delegates over there to Philly. And they gathered, gathered together and tried to hammer out a document that would be useful for all of these different states and for the different citizens of this great nation. Those folks in that Constitutional Convention did something that never had been done before. Number one, they formed a nation. You've never heard anywhere in recorded history of individuals gathering together and forming a nation just by sitting there talking about what they thought this thing should be about. Secondly, they created a federal government. I mean, they had a centralized deal. They said one place ought to be in charge and going to control all of these other things. Not to mention our Constitution. Our Constitution is a document that is envied by people all over this earth, and that is why people stand in lines all across this earth at 4 o'clock in the morning at various embassies and consulates and legations because they want an opportunity to come and experience what you very often and I very often take for granted. I mean, we can... We can go out and garden any time that we want, but there are a whole lot of places where if you have a nice garden, there'll be another tribesman that'll come by and steal your harvest. We have an opportunity to worship any way that we want, but there are places like Saudi Arabia where a church cannot be built that has a cross on the top of it. Yeah, you can't have any visible sign of Christianity. There are places in this world where the church is underground and the Christians meet secretly. Places like Iran and other places, folks in China. But we have the opportunity because of some men that gather together, we can worship God and we don't have to be concerned about what people are going to say. But then nobody else had ever created a nation where they said there's going to be separation of church and state. There's not going to be a litmus test for anybody that wants to be voted into a particular office or run for office. You're a Christian, that's fine. If you're not, that's fine. But the founding fathers, when they made the Constitution, whenever in their writings and they were talking to each other, and, ever, and whenever you read the debates of the Constitution, Mr. Madison kept over a thousand pages of notes. I've got all 2,000 pages of the debates on the Constitution at home on my shelf. And whenever they talked about God, they were not talking about the God of Islam the God of Hinduism. They were talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why is this nation blessed to the degree that it is? Because it's built upon a foundation that at one time was strongly Christian. When those original pilgrims came from Europe to these shores, I understand that there were already folks here People say, well, that, that's mean for people to talk about a discovery of America or to talk about uh, the American states being built in this place where, where Indians were at one time. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. The story of progress in, in all of the earth is always about people who are somewhere and they end up taking over a rival culture and they end up supplanting that rival culture. Doesn't matter where you go. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. And to all the nations of the world, there was always somebody somewhere before somebody else got there and something else won out. We may not necessarily like that. We don't have to like it. But it does tell us 
Something again that Daniel stated, and that is, it is the Lord that sets up kings and brings them down. It's God that establishes nations and nations that, that fall apart. Before the American Indian was here, somebody was here. It had to have been something. Somebody came from somewhere. God made man, started them over there in the Middle East. So when those pilgrims came here and they had those Geneva Bibles in that ship with them and they were reading the notes that many of the reformers had written and holding and embracing those truths, believing that there should not be any separation of culture and religion. When they came here in those early colonies, that pastor had all kinds of prominence and importance in society. The politician looked over his shoulder to hear what the preacher was saying from the pulpit. Lest he say something that disagreed with the man of God. The role of that pulpit was so strong in those early colonies that there were many people who weren't even going to church faithfully. But you couldn't vote unless you were a member of a local church in some of these states. But as time went on and we had more and more of sin beginning to proliferate and darkness in men's heart continuing to grow. Then people start saying, why in the world should one religion or two religions have so much power? All of the colonies were different. Why do you think we call Maryland, Maryland? Because it had a strong Catholic population because of the adoration for Mary. When people went to Rhode Island and places like that, they went because they were looking for a freedom that they couldn't find in certain other places where the governor's were a bit stronger and some of the politicians were strong. But these experiments worked out favorably. By the time of the American Revolution, everybody kind of understood that if we're going to have a nation where everybody gets along, there has to be some kind of division between society as far as the politics and then the religion. Can you imagine if you were the one in charge of what religion we would have to have here in America? Imagine that. If there had to be just one kind. Oh, it would be difficult to worship God because you'd never be able to please the person who's in charge of it. This nation is blessed because it does have diversity. But it's blessed because the founding fathers also understood that even if you have diversity, you still need to have Christ at the center. Even Daniel Webster and folks like that understood this great experiment called America cannot work if you don't have citizens that know Jesus. You remove Christ from a country like ours where capitalism is so great, where the American dream is the, is the embodiment of everybody's ambition and their desires. You take Christ from that and you remove the good character that's needed to control a nation like this. Then people will be led by greed, lust. And all kinds of other things. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 17. I want to read a couple of verses to you here. Beginning with verse number. Oh let's say 14. Deuteronomy 17 verse 14. When you come into the land. Talking about the children of Israel. Which the Lord your God gives you. And shall possess it and dwell therein. And you begin to say, I want a king over me like all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him a king over you whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among your brethren. 
Now, this is why in our Constitution, the leaders that we have have to be citizens because of this portion of Scripture right here. Whom the Lord your God shall choose from among thy brethren shalt thou set a king over you. Thou mayest not set a stranger over you, which is not thy brother. There were a lot of people who were offended years ago when Mr. Schwarzenegger said he wanted to run for president. He had been governor. But, you know, we do have these rules about who can be president in this country and the kinds of citizenship laws that we have. And the reason those are important is because if you're going to have somebody that rules the nation, you need to have somebody who at least thinks like you, has been brought up like you, and who's going to be sympathetic to the way of life that you have. And so this is why when the Constitution was formed and written, people turned to the Word of God to see what Scripture had to say. Because scripture was the basis and the foundation of how to put it together. Verse 16, he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt. So we're not putting somebody in charge whose role is to enrich themselves, nor take you back into bondage. Imagine if we would have if we had a leader today that was saying, America, what you need to do is submit yourself to the British crown again. And just turn back over this nation to Great Britain and become a colony. Scripture says in verse 16 concerning Israel, if they had a king like that, you shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Now, I don't think our politicians have been diligent to be honorable in everything that they do. I think there are a lot of politicians who went to Capitol Hill, and when they went there, they didn't have a whole lot of money, but they've been there long enough now where they're millionaires because of backroom deals, because they've, they, they've been bought by different people. But at least we do have a system that permits us to vote people out. This morning, I was thinking about Manasseh as I was teaching <clears throat> some Sunday school. And this man was king for 55 years. He got on the throne when he was 12 years old. The scripture says he sacrificed his own children by fire to false gods. Operated with a familiar spirit, was, in, was consulting with wizards, involved with witchcraft and enchantment. And yet for decades, he caused the children of Israel to sin, the Bible says, and the folks in Judah and Jerusalem. And God said that he tried to speak to Manasseh, but Manasseh didn't listen to anything that God had to say, and the people wouldn't hearken to him. So God raised up a nation, the Assyrians, and they came against Manasseh, and they overtook them, and Manasseh went and tried to hide in some hedges, and they came and found him in the thorns, and they took him, bound him in fetters and chains, and carried him all the way from Jerusalem to Babylon. But on that long trip, he then began to cry out to God, remembering what his father Hezekiah once believed. Hezekiah was a good king. While Manasseh was crying out to God, he humbled himself, repented, and God did a good work in his heart, and God opened up a door for him to come back to Jerusalem. Do you know what he did when he came back to Jerusalem? He, he began to work to undo everything that he did. He took away the high places, got rid of all of the witchcraft, because that's what a changed life does. It removes idolatry and rids itself of anything that becomes a snare. Well, as a Christian, when we look at our nation, do we see anything that we need to rid ourselves of? 
I think if John Dickinson and Benjamin Franklin and even others, signers of the Declaration of Independence, John Witherspoon and other people, I think if these folks were to come back today and see what we've made of this nation, I think many of them would begin to cry at how the Constitution has been interpreted and how rights and privileges have been abused. Some of the things that they envisioned in the beginning, I don't think they ever considered that freedom of speech would be used in the way that we use it today. I don't think they ever understood that, that people would have so much power and authority and abuse it without any good character at all. Who could have thought that someone would take some kind of belief that people have a right to liberty and pursuit of happiness and conceive that that means that a beautiful baby born in the womb should lose its life because somebody believes they don't want it. Think about that. I don't think they would have ever considered the notion that there would be any kind of objections to the normal natural order of procreation and marriage. They'd be astonished. I think they'd be surprised today that we're, we're unsure of which bathrooms our kids ought to use today. If the boys should use the boys' room or the girls should use the girls or vice versa. Because of the changes in our culture, we've had changes in the way we interpret things. But going back to what we read in Psalm 33, it says that the thoughts of God are there for us to all generations. Had not those gentlemen sat down and forged out a constitution that you can go see over there on the East Coast, had they not put that together, we would have never known what it was that they actually wanted. Have their letters not been preserved? Some of their speeches preserved? Have the Federalist Papers not been preserved? We would have never known how they wanted that document to be interpreted. So as long as we live in this nation, but take for granted the many things that God has done for us without ever really reflecting on how wonderful it is to be part of this great experiment, will forever be silent and allow adversaries who don't believe in God to take advantage of the liberties that we have. In Deuteronomy 17, again, it makes a wonderful statement that I think is beautiful here. Verse 18, it says, It shall be when he sits upon the throne of his kingdom, he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life. Wouldn't that be amazing? If we had someone that in order for them to become president, at some point they would sit down and begin to copy scriptures with their own handwriting and begin to write the word of God down on some piece of paper in order for them to meditate on those words. When you take the time to write out scripture, you're not only writing it on the paper, but you're also writing it on the tables of your heart because you've got to think about what it is that you're actually writing in the first place. God understood that. He said, your king, if he's going to be godly, the word needs to be next to him. But if we have leaders that don't believe in God, that's far and away from what the founding fathers wanted. This book, which is the Bible, is so important. I saw where last week they said that under the previous administration, they said, the persecution of the church and hostility toward the Bible in the public forum was at an all-time high. Can you imagine that? Yeah. 
My wife was telling me not too long ago that up in Canada, they just passed a law that says in Christian schools, you're no longer able to teach any passages from the Bible that lead to strife and discord. That means anything that somebody deems offensive, you can't teach. Now, if, if you pass a law that says you can't do that, that means you have to have a committee to interpret what is offensive and what is a, 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 a language of strife and discord. Same thing with hate speech. If somebody's going to say, well, that's hate speech, there's got to be somebody who's going to be in charge of determining whether or not it's hate speech or not. And usually hate speech is always the kind of language we don't like. That's what it is. But when I think of Scripture... I think of the fact that God wants us to use our tongue to edify, our speech to be seasoned with grace. Seven years in the United States Marine Corps, I've stood in cemeteries overseas representing people that died in World War I. Been to I don't know how many cemeteries for people that have died because of World War II and the Korean War. And I'm telling you, that red, white, and blue, I was willing and able to lay my life down for anybody that wanted the opportunity to be in this nation and to adhere to the Constitution and somebody who wants freedom of speech, yes, if they want to get up and shout and scream about how much they hate God. I mean, they can do that. I was willing to shed my blood as a military person for them to have that right. But once they're done, I want equal time. I fought for that right, too. And I don't need anybody to tell me that we should only allow people to say that certain lifestyles are fine but nobody else can speak against those lifestyles. The thing that made the prophets unpopular in the Old Testament was that they never conformed to the culture. When people were sacrificing their own children and worshiping different gods and involved with witchcraft, the man of God would go and stand in the midst of the temple where people had compromised the truth and he would prophesy, here is what God says, amend your ways, turn from wickedness and come back. Well, one of the songs we sang this evening, God mend our flaws. See, If someone's going to cry out against what's wrong in society, they'll be popular, but for the wrong reasons. And the unpopularity becomes so great that there's it, a possibility somebody might lose their life. But the church in a culture like this, where Christianity has flourished for centuries, We ought to have people that are willing to open up their mouth and speak and declare what thus saith God. The pilgrims were the first ones in the boats. They loved the Lord and carried Bibles and came to these shores. But now you have people that don't know God. They were the last ones in the ship and they're throwing the first people overboard. And the poor people thrown overboard barely can even swim back to shore. We're just watching watching Christianity as it just is pushed out there to see. And what people call Christianity today, they don't even know the difference between light and darkness, black and white, because for many people, gray seems like a beautiful color when it comes to understanding the difference between right and wrong. God has provided for us through his word what we need in order to live a godly life. What are we going to do if 30 30 years from now... 30 years from now, a law is passed that says you're allowed to read the Bible on television or radio, but it cannot be any of those older Bibles prior to the 19th century. 
the language is offensive in those Bibles. Can't be a Tyndale Bible. It can't be a Geneva Bible. Can't be a KJV Bible. It can't be a Bible put together by Miles Coverdale. You can't read the Wycliffe Bible, translated first into English from the Latin. It has to be a modern version that's been sanitized, whose language has been doctored in such a way that it's not offensive. What would we read then? What would we do if in this nation someone passes a law and says, if you're going to be on radio, you've got to be, you've got to be sure that you don't say anything that's offensive to people. Just, just reading the Bible. They, they, threw, they threw John Hagee off of television in Canada for just reading Leviticus. Just reading. He wasn't even preaching. Just reading Leviticus. They threw him off because they said what he was reading was producing hate in people. One person, I think he was from Africa, talking to someone from England, and he was, the guy from Africa was trying to explain to the man from England about how deceived they are about Christianity. He said, in our country, in Africa, he said, the difference between us and you is, in our country, we know that Christianity has taken a back seat, and it now is overlooked, and it's despised, but you folks don't know it, and you still expect a seat at the table. That's the difference. So as a, as a believer out here, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but living out here in the heartland like we do, this is one of the last bastions where Christianity has a root that's greater than what you'll find in coastal metropolitan cities and other places of the world. Out here is a world where a preacher still has a little bit of significance. Because there are more people that still will attend the house of God. But in a nation like this, we need to make sure that we have our voices strong. Because a nation as beautiful as this demands and requires that its citizens speak up about its culture, its heritage, and its history. All we have to do is sit still and be quiet. And I'm telling the devil will do whatever he wants to do. But John Adams was wise enough to say that the best citizens of this nation are the politicians that can leave from where they are and then go back home and grab a hoe and work in the garden one more time. The old blacksmith, the cobbler, the farmer, the one that worked on the horses, trained the horses, bred the sheep, the one that was a circuit riding preacher, a nurse, a doctor, the one that was a school teacher in some of these old frontier schools, the housewife, the one that, that worked very hard at what they were trying to do, just basic American occupations that very often today are misunderstood and overlooked. We live in a world where Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, and other places are thought of as the flyover states and flyover parts of the country. But this is that one part of the country that still has enough of God left, that where the people who do not believe in God know the only way they're ever going to change this nation, they got to change this culture out here. That's why these churches, mainline churches, whether it's Methodist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, you're watching older people, gray-heads, white-haired people sitting there in their 70s and their 80s, weeping and crying, some of them not even going to church because they can't understand why we can't get a preacher that believes in God and the Bible anymore. 
It's because headquarters back there in the metropolitan area understands if we're going to change this denomination, we've got to change these churches and we've got to change those people out there in those little small towns of 700, 800, 900 people. The only way to do that is to send them from that liberal seminary straight out there to that conservative church and have them proclaim to those people these new teachings. And over a generation or two, maybe we can change their heart. But folks, as long as this book says what it says, and as long as Pastor Darrell's in the pulpit preaching the gospel out here, I can promise you I'm going to be preaching 25 years from now the same gospel that I'm preaching today. It's not going to change. It's never mattered to me how many or how few, but it does matter to me how accurate and how pure that word is. Let's stand. What a great country we live in. We've got to do what we can to hold fast to the truth. Let's take a few moments and pray for this great nation. Pray for our town. Pray for our county and our state. Father, we're grateful that we have an opportunity to be where we are right now. We know there's a long line of people that would love to be in this building. They're living overseas. They would love the opportunity to be here in this school system in America or to have the opportunity to study at home. Some of the young folks here in America are able to do. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the technology that makes our medical system better than any system around the world. Daniel said in the last days, men would go to and fro and that knowledge would increase. And Father, technology just flourishes in this nation. And I'm sure it's only because you've released wisdom in the earth to people that love you and worship you. Father, help us to use all these witty adventures to glorify your name. Help us to proclaim your word and to be strong in what we believe and not be ashamed of what the truth says. Oh, God, we honor you. We thank you. Israel at one time was a stranger in Egypt. They were foreigners there. You brought them out and you told them they should love the strangers that come into their, their own shores. And Lord, most of the folks in this country, their ancestors come from another place. So Father, thank you that you saw fit to bring our forebears here and that we've had this opportunity to grow up in a world so wonderful that they even have a Disneyland. So God, we bless you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. <clears throat>